0: As we are standing, um, let me read the passage of scripture that we're going to be focusing on today from Matthew chapter 2. And again, we're standing just in honor of, of God's word. This is God's word to us. After the magi had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Father, we thank you for your word to us. And we acknowledge without your Holy Spirit um, making this come alive, it won't. And so we want this to come alive in us. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, we ask you to speak to each of our hearts that you would apply this word, whatever part of this message that has been prepared, you would take it and apply it to each of our lives and it would find fertile soil. So apart from you, Lord, we can do nothing. I can do nothing. I just offer this message to you and pray for you to use it in all of our hearts for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So super glad all of you are here. Uh, greetings to our traditions venue. You guys rock it. And um, those are friends in LaSalle and also all of those who engage online. We have some people around the world that are engaging online. So welcome to All of you. One of the highlights of this year, of this year for our church, is our Christmas Eve services. There's something so powerful about, and and you guys know this, there's something so powerful about gathering together as a body on on Christmas Eve to just to focus our hearts on the true meaning of Christmas. And what makes it even more powerful is that there are a lot of people, there are often people who are disconnected from God that actually want to be in church that day. And are open to experiencing Jesus personally. They just need to be invited. They just need to be invited. And so I want to encourage you to pray about inviting someone to our service as someone who does not regularly attend church, because you never know the impact that your invitation could have just a story in that regard. Uh, last March, I was invited to speak at CSU at the Navigators meeting. Um, and so I, I did my thing there at um, Fort Collins and, and spoke. And then afterwards, there was music response, worship response, and so I was back at the back of the room and, and was just worshiping the Lord. And this girl came, one of the students in that ministry came to me and said, hey, can I talk to you for a minute? And, and so we went out into the, the hallway and, and she said, I grew up up in a home where my parents did not attend church. Um, But every Christmas Eve, every year on Christmas Eve, they would go to the Christmas Eve service at Christ Community. And as a little girl, I would pray that prayer with you at the end of your message, inviting Jesus into my heart. I didn't know what all of that meant, but I knew I wanted him in my life. So she goes, she grows up, goes to CSU. Gets involved in NAVS, begins growing in her faith. Now she's involved in full-time ministry at a college campus. So you never know, we never know, how God can use that Christmas Eve service in someone's life. So we have created some invite cards. I think I got one here. Hope is here is the theme. And then the backside has all the the information. And we encourage you, as as you leave later at the end of the service, just grab some of those cards and invite coworkers or neighbors or friends or the person at Target. You say, whatever. The service is going to be an hour long. It will include some Christmas carols and some special music and a lighthearted video and then a, a short teaching about the hope that Jesus brings into our lives. The theme is Hope is Here. And by the way, logistically, typically our middle two services are the most well attended. Um, and so if you're able to go, if you're able to go to the earliest service, which is the one o'clock, or the the five thirty service, or of course, the eleven o'clock service where KJ is leading that, that would be awesome. Just to make, room for people. And if you're able to park at the central high school lots, that would be really helpful as well. We, we just want to be a church that's about hospitality, and that's a part of it. All of us can help make this a hospitable place by where we park and the service we go to, all that stuff. So thanks for all you do to, to make that happen. It's going to be an amazing day on Tuesday, so be praying about that. All right, so how are you doing with your Christmas shopping? See, some of you, I know, some of you are like horrified that I even ask because you've been done for three weeks or whatever. Um, you organize people. And then there are some of you, I know some of you, you love the challenge of last minute shopping. You just lo- you thrive on that. Um, you know, regardless, regardless of where you're at, we all know that gift giving is a significant part of people's experience of Christmas. This past Black Friday, <coughs> online shoppers spent This is a record number, $7.4 billion on gifts. Now, what's interesting... I looked at another survey that reveals that 25% of the people that purchase, made purchases that day admitted that they bought those things for themselves. Uh, so, which, which sort of you know, changes the whole purpose of gift giving or whatever. But there, there is no question that one of the key practices and experiences around the Christmas season has to do with the giving of gifts. So where did that tradition come from? Where did it originate? And why is it such an important part, important part of how people celebrate Christmas? Well, there is good reason to believe that the origin of gift-giving at Christmas goes back to the journey of the Magi, which we have been focusing on during this Advent season. These Magi were were influential, highly respected, spiritually sensitive leaders from Persia who saw this unique star in the rise. They were students of the heavens, so they saw saw this unique star rise, and they realized its significance that it represented a king who had been born in Israel. So they made this thousand-mile trip not just to see the newborn king. They, they made this trip to worship him. When they arrive in Jerusalem on their quest, they clearly state their purpose. Here it is, verse two. Where is the one who's been, been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. That's what this entire journey is about, worship. And that's so important because when, when we look at that, this story through, through the lens of worship, suddenly their journey becomes our journey. Their journey becomes our journey. The magi show us how to worship Jesus in a way that transforms our lives. That's really what this series is about. I believe God wants each one of us to grow in our experience of worship. There's this place in the book of John, chapter 4, John 4, where Jesus makes this fascinating statement about worship. Check this out. He says, yet a time is coming... And has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. This is one of the only places in Scripture where we are told God is seeking something. We're told to seek God, seek God. This is one of the only places in Scripture where we are told that God is seeking something. What is he seeking? He is seeking worshipers. This is God the Father's heart. He seeks worshipers. God is seeking people who worship him. He is looking to respond to and to draw near to people who give priority to worshiping him. What we're we're talking about in this series is a big deal that goes way beyond the Christmas season. This is about the kind of church, the kind of people God longs for us to be, and that God is calling us to be, worshipers of Jesus so what does it look like to be a worshiper of Jesus, to be the kind of worshiper that the Father seeks? Well, the Magi show us, they show us. So far in this series, we have seen how genuine worship involves seeking Jesus. That was first week. And then second week, surrendering to Jesus as king. And then last week, we talked about how our physical bodies are very much a part of our worship, which is why there are multitude of postures of worship described in the Bible, and the and Magi <clears throat> kneeled, knelt down, so we, we, and they fell on their face before the Lord. So that's why we talked about that. Well, all of that leads to this final teaching in this series today, where we're going to see one more aspect of genuine worship, the kinds of worshipers God longs for us to be. Look with me, beginning in verse 10. <clears throat> when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures... And presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So in a very real sense, this is the climax of their journey. They have sought Jesus, they have honored him as king, they have bowed down before him, and all of which are powerful evidences of worship. But there is one more response that their worship of Jesus moves them to engage in, and that is to give to Jesus They realize they are in the presence of a king, and so they choose to give something to this king. And in doing so, they reveal another very important aspect of worship. Worship is not just about the songs we sing to Jesus. Worship is about the gifts we bring to Jesus. Matthew tells us that the magi opened up their treasures. They had carried these gifts for a 1,000 miles in order to give them to Jesus as an expression of their worship of him. See, here's what I want us to understand. Worship and giving are absolutely interconnected. They can't be separated. Worship and giving are absolutely connected. In fact, let let me say it this way. We give to whatever we worship. We give to whatever occupies central place in our heart. For instance, if we worship our appearance, If that occupies a central place in our heart, we will give lots of time and money to shopping and surgeries in order to improve our appearance, right? We give to whatever we worship. If we worship having material things, we will give lots of time and money to having stuff, working extra hours and extra jobs and over-leveraging credit card debt in order to maintain our spending habits. Again, we give, my point is that we give to whatever we worship to whatever occupies that central place in our hearts. No one has to tell us to do this. No one has to tell us to do this. No one has to force us to do this. It is a natural response to that which we treasure, to that which we value. See, the magi gave of their treasures to Jesus because they treasured Jesus. Their giving to him was an act of worship. And we too have this amazing opportunity, this amazing privilege to express worship to Jesus through our giving to Jesus. So what do you give to a God who already has everything, right? What do you give to a God who already has everything? Well, the Magi help answer that question for us. <clears throat> In the gifts they give to Jesus, we see three things that we can give to Jesus as an expression of our worship. <clears throat> so look again at verse 11. Then they opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That reminds me of the Sunday school teacher who asked the children what gifts the wise men gave to Jesus. One of the children immediately replied, gold, Frankenstein, and smurfs. Okay. Uh, so, <laughs> so and, and by the way here, the fact that there were three gifts is why many Christmas carols and nativity scenes and all of that have three magi, three wise men, but actually the the text doesn't say there were three wise men, only that three gifts were given. You can trick your friends with a question on that or something. Okay, so what is the significance of each of these gifts? I believe each gift symbolically represents something we can give to Jesus. I think that's why Matthew listed them specifically. Otherwise, why would he do that? They're listed here because I believe they represent a symbolic, something symbolic, or in a symbolic way, they represent what we can give to Jesus. So the first gift mentioned is gold. <clears throat> The Magi gave gold to Jesus. At that time, gold was the most precious and valuable substance on the earth. It was often used for currency as a form of money, and it would certainly have been used that way for Jesus and his parents, by by Jesus and his parents. So, one of the areas from which we can give to Jesus is our finances. When we look at our society today, I think it would be fair to say that money is something we all treasure, it is something that we value. It's something that's very important to us. It's something that we like to spend. It's something we, you know, most of us, some of us like to save, maybe. um, But all, spend and save, we we all like it, right? Which is all great. That's all great. But as Jesus tells us a few chapters later in the book of Matthew, it is also something that is competing for our worship. It's something that is competing for first place in our hearts. So look with me at what Jesus says. This is just a few chapters later in the book of Matthew. For where your treasure, same word as in Matthew 2, 11, we just read they gave of their treasure, same word. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and, and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Notice that word money is capitalized in this verse. Why is that word capitalized? There's a reason, it's because the word Jesus uses in this passage is technically not the word for money. The word he uses here is the word mammon. It's the word mammon. It's a word that personifies all forms of wealth and possession. See, Jesus is painting this picture of how our hearts are in this battle of choosing to serve and worship God or choosing to serve and worship the God, small g, of materialism and wealth. That's why it's capitalized. That's it's very significant, and and Jesus repeated answer whenever he talked about this whole issue, and he talked a lot about it. Whenever he talks about this issue, his answer to how we establish his lordship in our hearts and our in our lives, how we establish his lordship over materialism, the answer was consistent. It's, it's simple, not easy, but it's simple. Give, give, be generous with your finances. See, this is why giving financially is such a spiritually supercharged action, because it is a tangible way to loosen the hold of mammon in our lives and instead to worship Jesus as king, to worship Jesus as king. So, so the, 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 this is one gift that we can give to Jesus as an expression of our worship. We can give to him financially by supporting his kingdom work, by giving to someone in need. I was talking with a woman in our church recently, and she told me this story of how she had just recently come to Greeley, and she came um, through on a bus, I think, through Denver. She had $35 in her pocket when she got to Denver. And as she was there in that bus depot, um, a woman came up to her and said, a mom actually came up to her, a young mom, and said, I I really, I just need money to get to Pueblo to see my, my kids. And so this woman took the only money she had, $35, and she gave it to this mom. And she was so excited to share with me this story because it filled her heart with so much joy. That was an act of worship. That was an act of worship. That was a treasure given to Jesus. I know of another person who at the end of every year takes time to reflect upon how God has blessed them financially and often in response to God's goodness will give a significant gift over and above their, their other giving just as a way to say thank you to God. See, that is a demonstration of worship. That is a treasure joyfully given to Jesus. Okay, so one gift that we can give to worship Jesus is from our finances, our money, our money. The second gift that the Magi give to Jesus is frankincense. So, what is frankincense? Well, it's a resin derived from a particular tree that provides a wonderful aroma when burned. Obviously, it's a particular kind of incense. That's why the word incense is contained in the word frankincense. It's an incense. Now, in the Old Testament, frankincense was often associated with priests who served in the temple. They would burn incense to provide a fragrant offering to the Lord. Now, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, in a letter to the church at Ephesus, the Apostle Paul uses the same imagery of fragrant offering. He used that same language to describe a particular kind of gift. Look, at, look with me at, at Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. In fact, listen, read, read this out loud with me. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, Jesus' demonstration of love, his choice to give himself up for us is described here as a fragrant offering. And in this passage, we're encouraged to follow his example. See, when we choose to love the way Jesus did, Laying down our lives, whatever, sacrifice. When we choose to love that way in a way that costs us something, we are giving this precious gift to Jesus as a fragrant offering. When we regularly spend time with and care for an aging parent who doesn't even recognize us anymore, that is is an act of worship to Jesus. When, as a parent or a teacher, we demonstrate sacrificial love to a child who is not acting very lovable. That is an act of worship given to Jesus. When we choose to forgive someone who hurt us, and it's really hard to do that, but when we choose to bring that offense to the cross and leave it there, that is a fragrant offering of worship to Jesus. Even if no one else sees or no one else notices, God does. God does. He receives and he delights in our fragrant offering of love. I was just thinking about this, watching the video of the love gives. I was talking with a family who they they had taken a a food basket, food bag to a family. And I don't know if you realize this, but part of the way this works is whenever we give a family a food um, box, we give them another one to give to someone else. And so this woman who received this basket, she was so excited when she saw this other box because I know exactly who I'm giving that to. And she went over to her neighbor and blessed her neighbor. She my neighbor needs some food. And so she was able to bless her neighbor. And just the joy as they were telling me this story and the excitement in this woman's face is part of the heart of this, this love when we're able to demonstrate love in that way. It is powerful. It's a powerful gift given to Jesus. So the final gift mentioned is myrrh. Myrrh is a fascinating substance um, because it was used for all sorts of things in that day. It was used as a perfume. It was used as a beauty treatment. It was used for the treatment of a dead body, either as an embalming substance or as a way to counteract the smell of death and decay. But there is one other use of myrrh that we see in the Bible. When Jesus was hanging on the cross in excruciating pain, we are told in the Gospel of Mark that someone offered him wine mixed with myrrh. See, myrrh was used in that day as a pain reliever. And Jesus refused the myrrh enduring the full agony of the cross. But I wonder, I wonder if the myrrh given to Jesus is an invitation for us to bring to him our brokenness and pain. To bring to him those places where we feel vulnerable and are hurting. Now this initially feels really counterintuitive, right? When you think about it. This is a really could be a really poor choice of a gift for Jesus. After all, he is king. He is king. Shouldn't we bring him those things in our lives that are not broken? Shouldn't we bring him those areas of our lives where we're doing pretty well? I think this is how many of us, many of us intuitively, this is more intuitive, it's how many of us intuitively think we must approach Jesus. With our lives cleaned up, with our behaviors in check, not having messed up for at least a few days, um, everything in perfect order or as, as best we can. But see, the gift of myrrh reminds us that that is not at all how Jesus wants us to approach him. In fact, later in the book of Matthew, again, the book of Matthew, later in the book of Matthew, Jesus gives this beautiful invitation to any and all. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Cast your cares upon me. Let let me bear the weight of your brokenness, your sin. Stop trying to do all that on your own. I was was listening to a recording of the book of Revelation just the other day, and I was just reminded at the end of the Bible, over and over, this is the invitation. Come. Come. Come to me. This is Jesus' heart. It is this invitation to come, cast your cares upon me. Let me bear the weight of a brokenness your sin. Again, stop trying to do all that on your own. The one thing that Jesus cannot receive from us is our self-sufficiency. The one thing Jesus cannot receive from us is our independence. If that's what we bring to him, he cannot receive it. See, Jesus came to earth not to inspire us to live better or to teach us some self-help strategies. No, Jesus came to save us. He came to save us. So think about this. If you're drowning and a lifeguard comes out to save and rescue you, what's the one thing you must do in order to be saved? you have to stop trying to save yourself. You have to stop flailing on your own and let the lifeguard get close enough to actually rescue you. You see, at that moment, your self-sufficiency and independence are your worst enemies. At that moment, your self-sufficiency is your worst enemy if you wanna be saved, if you don't wanna drown. And the same thing is true spiritually. If you want Jesus to rescue you, you have to stop trying to save yourself. You have to stop pretending all is well, hiding behind the, I'm good, mask. And instead, admit how you really are. Again, this is just in a very counterintuitive way. This is so counterintuitive. <laughs> and it's why so many people miss the gospel. In a very counterintuitive way, one of the most precious gifts we can bring to Jesus is our real, authentic self, not our pretend self, not the part of us that's trying to look good and impress other people. See, Jesus longs for us to bring to Him our pain, to actually bring to Him our doubts and our brokenness and our unmet expectations and our sadness. The real us, that's what He wants. Not the pretend us. He wants the real us to bring to him the real us so that he can meet us in those places. Because that's the kind of savior that he is. Now this is not just some... Information I'm, you know, sharing here because it was something I found in the Bible. This is where I'm living right now, for me personally. (laughs) This is where I'm living right now. Not long ago, uh, I was in a meeting and some information that was was shared that really discouraged me. Um, And I just felt this heavy weight of discouragement just settle on me and I couldn't shake it. I couldn't shake it, but I had a bunch of meetings that day. And so I had a lot of meetings to go to, lots of things to do. So I just kind of took that thing and I just stuffed it. Tried not to think about it. Well, then when I got home, uh, I, got in, I said something insensitive to Raylene, and we sort of got into this little conflict. Um, so we each, you know how this works, you each withdraw to your corners so and you don't speak to each other for the rest of the night. That's kind of what we did. Um, and so I went to the office and just kind of with this palpable tension in the air. So now I was discouraged and frustrated. And I found myself in this familiar place of just wanting to escape and i felt the pull of temptation to just go online and peruse some things that would not be helpful for me but instead of doing that i escaped into work um, i started doing some work stuff and then eventually went to bed i woke up i woke up about 3:30 in the morning and I was just hit with this, the minute I woke up, hit with this overwhelming sense of discouragement and this sense of failure, and I, I felt sad, and, and, and I started to feel a little anxiety kind of rising up. I was not in a good place. Um, and I felt like I needed to talk to someone, but there was, it was 3.30 in the morning, right? Um, so so as, I, as I was lying in bed with all this going on, I just started opening up my heart to the Lord, and I acknowledged all this stuff that I was feeling, and then I began to kind of mentally sing. I didn't want to wake Raylene up, you know, so I began to just kind of mentally, you know what I'm talking about, I could hear the song, and I was singing in my heart just the song, Waymaker, you know, Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, My God, that is who you are. That is who you are. Just over and over again. I don't remember exactly what happened then. I just know I fell asleep, uh, which was good. I fell back asleep and woke up a few hours later with this sense of peace and this sense of God's presence. You know, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but looking back on that experience, I now realize I was actually offering Jesus a precious gift at 3.30 in the morning, the gift of my vulnerable heart, welcoming him into my discouragement and my pain. And he met me there. He met me there. See, that's the fascinating thing about all the gifts we've talked about giving to him. When we give to Jesus of our finances, or we give to Jesus of our love for others, or we give to him our brokenness and our discouragement, when we give to him those things, we end up on the receiving end of something very precious in return. A deeper experience of him. (laughs) A deeper experience of him. Now, that's not the reason we give. You know, that's not the reason we get, but often that's the result—a greater experience of His presence, which is not surprising when we when we remember that Jesus is God's gift to us. There's this amazing passage in Second Corinthians nine, um, where Paul's talking to Corinthians, challenging him about giving and reminding him about giving all this, stuff. and then at the end of this whole uh, this whole encouragement, he he then says. This is how he ends his whole, the two chapters, how he ends his whole dialogue. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's what this is all about, right? The reason we give is not to receive these things. Again, it's just that we do receive these things, but it's because Jesus is God's indescribable gift to us. (laughs) He is God's gift to us. You know, we spend an awful lot of time and effort at Christmas focused on what gifts we can give to others, and finding those, and looking for those, and buying those, and giving those. We, we do all of that, which is totally cool. It's, it's awesome. I love that as well. But my encouragement for each one of us today is to take some time and to ask ourselves this question, what gift can I give to Jesus? What gift can I give to Jesus, my amazing King and Savior? Amen. Let's, let's pray. So Holy Spirit, I, I really just, I think we all know where to launch this prayer time. It's right there. It's asking that question. So I want, to just, I want us to take a minute here. We just like to create space to respond. And so we want to do that right here. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit, just to, what gift can I give to Jesus? Maybe it's a financial gift he's laying on your heart or will lay on your heart as you're waiting. Maybe it's a, a gift of demonstrated love to be given to someone around you, someone you've avoided or ignored, or been impatient with? Or maybe it's a gift of your own brokenness and pain, just taking off the mask and admitting where you're really at, admitting your need. So let's just take a moment, let's ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what gift, what gift can I give to Jesus? Lord, would you help this be a question that we, what an amazing question we can ask. Again, we're, we're so focused on giving gifts to everyone else, which is totally fine, but what gift can we give to you? What gifts can we give to you? And I pray, Lord, as we take this question with us, we think about this, even beyond this holiday season, as worship is an act of giving, I pray, Lord, that... You would continue to grow us in this joy and privilege of worshiping you in this way, of honoring our King in this way, because you are worthy of this. You're worthy of all this and more. We love you, God. So while you're just continue to sit in that place, just with the Lord, what he's speaking to you, I want to give another invitation here, because and you can just keep your head bowed, but this may relate to some of you here, but that whole thing I was just talking about, the gospel is so counterintuitive. Because so many people think, okay, if I'm going to get to God, if I'm going to have a relationship with God, i got to clean up my life. i got to stop swearing, and i got to stop looking at porn, or whatever it is, got to clean up my life, and then maybe God will accept me. That's just how we intuitively think of a relationship with God works, but the Bible makes it so clear. The gospel makes it so clear. That's not how we experience a relationship with God. It's so counterintuitive. Jesus, this is why Jesus came to earth. He came to give his life on the cross to pay for our sin. It's not about us cleaning up our lives. He's already paid for all that. So he he offers this to you as a gift. And what do you do with a gift? You don't work for a gift. You don't earn a gift. You don't try to clean up your life to earn a gift. You receive a gift. Jesus has already paid the price, but he's inviting you to receive this gift, this gift of his forgiveness and his love, and he actually comes to live in you. And you begin following him as king and lord. This isn't just fire insurance to get to heaven. This this is following Jesus as your love and treasure. It's that journey of that. So if you would like to receive this precious gift of all that Jesus offers you, I would love to lead you in a prayer right now. And you can pray with me in the silence of your heart. Just pray with me. Dear God, I admit that I have done my own thing on my own way and and that I'm separated from you because of it. But I don't want to be separated from you. And I realize there's nothing I can do to clean up my life, to earn my way to you. Which is why you sent your son Jesus to me. Jesus, you gave your life on the cross to pay for all of my mess- ups and failures. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. I choose to place my trust. In you alone, Jesus. And I now receive from you the gift of your life, your forgiveness, your presence living in me. I ask you to change me from the inside out through the power of your love. And God, I want to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. I pray they would grow in this amazing relationship with you. And if you prayed that prayer, tell someone, let someone know. So they can walk with you. And we as a church, we can walk with you in this journey with Jesus. So God, we love you. We love you. And we consider it a privilege to, to give to you our worship right now as a precious gift we set us free to do that god set us free to do that so why don't we stand uh, if you want to sit down at some point that's totally fine if you want to receive prayer we have a prayer team available during this time where you can just go back to a prayer station and it will be there maybe God's moving in your heart to give just in response to the message you can do that text to give all those all those things details are in your bulletin whatever the response is that we can give him praise this is just about jesus So Lord, we love you. We love you. Set us free now to give to you ourselves, to give to your worship because you are worth all that.